So it says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs. And they were sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. So this isn't just a rabble come to lynch Jesus. This is an authorised arrest group. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, (coughs) Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. (coughs) Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. I'm not sure there's a more brutal uh, use of the word friend than when Jesus says it there. Then the man stepped forward. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and they arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, and he's unnamed in this text. You know, Peter gets a break from Matthew, uh, and they say just that one of Jesus' mates uh, reached fierce sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So it's quite a brutal uh, uh, swing that he got there. Those are practice swordsmen. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and that he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of soldiers, of angels? But how um, then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? And the... uh, rhetorical device Jesus is there is, no, I'm not uh, leading a rebellion. Jesus is not doing something that threatens the political power of the people at the time. Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled So, Jesus has been disturbing the peace with healings, miracles, and wonderful teachings. For three years he's been doing this. I mean, uh, Tim, uh, just during worship, uh, uh, remembered one of the Beatitudes. Uh, And so Jesus said so many things that have stuck in our minds, that have caused us uh, to reflect on our lives. Um, And he has disturbed the status quo. And finally, the local authorities, and they've come and they've taken down this rabbi, this leader of men, this guy who seems to be doing something new. The folk folk that were supposed to be leading God's people wisely decide to take out this rabbi that was doing so much good and uh, causing so much unrest. <coughs> Sorry. Jesus' followers see where their affiliation lies. Who are Jesus' disciples on which side? Are they on the side of the authority, or are they on the side of Jesus? 
And Peter and some of the other disciples, they decide to resist evil. They look at these authorities coming and they decide, you know what, I'm going to stop this. And so one of them cuts off the ear of one of the um, arresting party. But Jesus stops this, doesn't he? He says, you know what, we are not here to resist the authorities coming in. We are here to comply with them. Me and Wendy are just going to take a moment and stop disrupting this meeting with our coffee. It is an extraordinary tension that hopefully every single person in this room has felt during their lives. It is a tension that has always existed for believers ever since the beginning. It existed during Jesus' time and it exists today. What should believers do when the godless are in charge? What do we do when the people are in authority have a different opinion to things to us? <coughs> this is Jesus' arrest painted uh, by Caravaggio. And um, it's got a number of interesting features. But one of them that are art critics have mentioned is that the centre of the painting is not Jesus but it is this soldier uh, coming to take Jesus out and the most central aspect of this soldier is not his face but his uh, armour which is reflective and the idea is that we are invited to see our own reflection in the armour and we are invited into this moment of the arrest to say, where would you stand? What are you doing as part of this scene? How are you involved? What actions are going to come from you? Today we are going to look again at the writings of Peter. We are going to look at how he sees us struggling with the beauty of the gospel and the powers that be, which can seem to be so destructive and harmful. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Can you turn these slide, Pete? I think all our HDMI fiddlings have destroyed the... Uh, so, 1 Peter, chapter 2. <coughs> this is uh, what Peter has to say. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake... When you read Lord in the New Testament, it usually means Jesus. So everyone say Jesus. Jesus. Everyone say Jesus' sake. Jesus' sake. So submit yourselves for Jesus' sake to every human authority, 
whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will, everyone wants God's will in their lives, preachers preach about it, we sing about it. What is God's will for your life? This exciting moment is about to be revealed by Peter. It is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honour the emperor. Peter explains here that Christians should allow others to govern you. Francis and David and Barry, you are not anarchists. You are to submit to the authority over you. You are to allow the rules of the godless to apply to you. And some of you may be thinking, yeah, well, we've got a really godless government at the moment. The rules being passed seem so out of whack with Christianity that surely Peter doesn't understand. Do you know when Peter wrote this? Peter wrote his letter when Emperor Nero was in charge. He ruled the Roman Empire at the time and he was a grim guy. He uh, was uh, anti-Christian in so many rules. He persecuted and prosecuted them. He was the one who, under his rule, Peter was executed, possibly upside down in Rome. And Nero's name in Hebrew uh, comes to 666. Now, I know lots of other people uh, like to look out for uh, future characters that have this name, but I suspect that 666 in Revelation is referring to Emperor Nero, who Peter would eventually be killed by. Emperor Nero was uh, made every Conservative and Labour government look like a pussycat compared to the laws that he would introduce. And yet Peter said, you need to submit to even the emperor. It's a fascinating thing for a Christian to deal with. For a Christian to live under the governance of a non-Christian, how do we do it? It would be really easy to say, just do what you want. But Peter says, submit to them. And so, my friends, we should pay our taxes. That is part of the law in this land. We should avoid outlawed practices. So if you are a Christian... Uh, you don't go around owning handguns and explosives. You may like the noise they make or the activities you can pursue to them, but you are not to do that because you sit under the authority of the government that God has put in place. And you do things that you are allowed to do. So I suggest sort of, um, uh, sort of have a family and uh, go to work and sort of participate in the economy. These all things are permitted, and so you get to do them. And I love the reason for this. It's not because they're in power and you're not, 
The reason to submit to these authorities is for Jesus' sake. You love Jesus, then you submit to the authorities. You love Jesus, then you pay your taxes. You love Jesus, and then you don't own a handgun and Semtex. Jesus didn't come to start a political rebellion. And that is still true today. We Christians are not political insurrectionists. We are not to initiate anarchy where we all do our own thing. Jesus acquiesced to the delegated powers of the time uh, and Peter encouraged the believers that looked to him for guidance to do the same. So, friends, you need to drive on the left. That is the law of the land. You don't go driving on the right, and then when someone stops you, you go, I am a child of God, I am free to do whatever I want. That is ignorance. You pay VAT. And you avoid illegal drugs. These things are laws of the land, and we comply We don't say, I'm a child of God and I'm free to do whatever I want and so I'm going to. And Peter says, no, you are a child of God, you are certainly free, but that freedom you use to submit to the the laws of the land. Now, I would qualify this, that Christ is our guide and so we can complain And we can speak out at injustice and impression. You are not permitted to blow up the Houses of Parliament because you don't like the laws being uh, issued. That is something uh, that does not follow from being a child of God. But it is good and right to protest. Tell uh, our MP that he is um, agreeing with injustice march in London or wherever you fancy to make your voice heard when you see things wrong uh, being done by the government of our time. Christ is our rule. And then we can use that to um, bring the rulers and authorities to account. If you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 13. If you could change the slide, Pete. Right, it says this in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Everyone say everyone. Everyone. For for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I wonder if your mind runs through to all those totalitarian regimes and all those other um, governments that are in place that seem terrible. And then you look at that and say, how on earth could Paul write this? Paul goes on. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And some of you are thinking of Idi Amin's regime. And you're like, how does that comply with this? It goes on. 
For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Christians don't do right because we're afraid of getting caught. We're afraid because our consciences inside cause us to want to do good. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honour, then honour. Paul here is even more explicit of what it means for a Christian to submit. What does it mean for a Christian to live in an organised state? Paul tells us um, that those uh, in charge are there to avoid chaos and bring justice. We are not allowed to live just simply as we see fit. And I want you to note, if you are starting to worry that this means that we are to be complicit in uh, sort of oppressive communist or uh, um, sort of bigoted regimes that are outrageous. These are general observations from both Peter and Paul. And uh, some regimes are inhuman and there are... uh, um, You get to the point where it is okay to save people even though it is illegal. But some regimes are simply ignorant and we need to uh, discern and make decisions when we uh, are making appraisals of them. And I want you to remember, both Peter and Paul were perfectly happy to preach when it was illegal. They were both perfectly happy to talk about Jesus even if it was against the law, even if they'd been expressly commanded not to do it. And when punishment came, they were quite happy to argue the toss and say, well, you know what, I want to uh, challenge that judgment you've made. We do not unthinkingly serve, but we are not merely just supposed to be constantly rebelling. I wonder if you've ever uh, met a Christian who just seems to be perpetually difficult and they use um, their spiritual status as a reason why they should do whatever they want and they use thinly disguised reasons uh, for just being selfish and obnoxious. And this is what Peter and Paul is telling us. You need to generally speaking, submit to the authorities. Just because you are a child of God does not let you off from driving on the left Paying VAT on your purchases. And I want you to hear also that Peter and Paul give us a little bit of guidance 
for us in 21st century Britain for how uh, we should use our vote. What criteria are we to use uh, for evaluating the candidates up for election? And we might well be due uh, an election in the next six months. And the reason is, uh, Peter and Paul say, they give us what we should look for in the authorities that are out there. And I think law and order are God-ordained priorities. When we think of the political parties, law and order are a good start for us to consider who we are to vote for. We should, more than just the small idea of make sure all the criminals are locked up, we must uh, have that wider perspective of we need to make sure that those that promote fairness and justice are given uh, our vote. Those that perpetuate a corrupt system where the rich and influential uh, win out over the poor and the needy, that is uh, anti-Christ. That is anti-Jesus. And if you have a democratic voice, you have a responsibility to use your vote for truth, not just so that you get more benefits or that you have to pay less tax. You need to use your vote in accordance with what Peter and Paul say are the functions of the authorities put in place. Look for those politicians that look after the poor, look after the widow, look after the orphan, that champion the causes of the people that don't have a voice. So, fairness and justice are criteria we need to use uh, when... Uh, evaluating who we should vote for. And secondly, there should be a space and promotion for those that benefit society. We seem to be in a society that celebrates shallowness and greed and wealth makers. These are the ones lifted up as important. And Peter and uh, Paul from the Bible say, they're not the ones that the authorities should be lifting up. In 21st century Britain, I would suggest that the uh, healthcare workers and the teachers and the police and uh, the people that serve are ones that should be celebrated rather than the celebrity and the rich and the famous that are given all sorts of gross courtesies. And so we need to think about why we are voting and what we are expecting from the authorities at large. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Can I have the next slide, Pete? One Corinthians chapter nine verse nineteen says this: Though I am free and belong to no one, Paul is very well aware of who he is. 
I have made myself a slave. Everyone say slave. Slave. I've made myself a slave. That's kind of like the lowest uh, human function that Paul could imagine. You know, that there is, uh, they're there to serve everyone else except themselves. He's made himself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those uh, not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. Why? To win them. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And you have this language of winning and saving because Paul is desperate for people to enter the kingdom of God. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. We are reminded again that Christians are free. We have been uh, saved by grace and we have entered through the gate that is Jesus Christ and we have been led out into abundant pastures. We are free from the fear of death. (coughs) We are free from the bondage and dictatorship of sin. We are free to choose good and we are free from insecurity and guilt. Can I have a hallelujah? Some of you do not look like you are free this morning. Let me remind you that you are free, that a smile can spread upon your face because even though you have all these responsibilities, you have been freed uh, to the max. These are incredible blessings. And we really easily overlook them and forget them as we feel the weight of responsibility of being believers. But we need to remember them. And that's why I think uh, worship is so good to start off the morning because you uh, uh, just realign yourself with actually your position. And it is in this place of freedom, in abundance, in a place of strength and independence we say, you know what, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to deny putting myself first because Jesus has already done that for me. (coughs) And so, we are invited to make uncomfortable conversations. We are invited to talk to people about Jesus when it is slightly disconcerting. We are invited to make hard connections with people that we would not normally hang around. We choose to talk to people and relate to folk who are difficult to be alongside. But we serve them because of Jesus' sake. We serve them because of the gospel. We serve them for an opportunity to save them. We are free people and we use that blessing to bless others. 
We use the blessing of freedom to invite other people around us into that freedom. Have the next slide, Pete. Now, if you turn back to that passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, you'll have different translations say different things. Um, I've actually left my normal NIV translation at home and embraced the, uh, uh, these church Bible ones because it actually has it better. In some NIV translations, it has that... Um, it has the end of verse, it has verse 17 where it says show proper respect to everyone and then it has like a grammatical uh, approach where those next three things are the outworking of showing respect to everyone. But commentators generally agree that that is not right. That there is an alternative view. That there is a different way of reading verse 17 that is important for us to adopt. Peter tells us to respect everyone. Everyone say everyone. Everyone. There is no one in your life that you are not called to respect. No one. This is inclusive of every person that God makes. Now, that respect can look different in different places, but we are called to respect everyone. Even if we wildly disagree with them, even if they are the most paganist pagan that you ever encountered, we are called to conduct ourselves with respect towards them. The people we disagree with should almost be surprised we disagree with them because of the amount of dis- of the amount of respect that we pay them other people can behave as they wish other people can behave towards those around them with utter disdain and disrespect but christians are called to be kind and respectful to everyone if peter can say respect the emperor and he would ultimately be killed by him and the Christians would preserve his words, then there is no one outside that circle of respect. Everyone is worthy of our attention and our politeness. Now, while that respect is universal for mankind, there is a higher degree and more intense relationship that Christians are to have. And that is a love for brothers and sisters. We respect everyone out there, but here we have that agape love. You can respect your neighbour who turns on his Norwegian death metal music at sort of one o'clock in the morning. But here... We love, and we love deeply and profoundly and with a selflessness. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are the ones that we uh, serve more than others. And we are not the 21st century family. We don't just meet 
for sort of weddings and funerals and Christmases. I mean, I don't know what your family is like, but <coughs> it's often sort of annual gatherings that we hang out with the wider family. But that is not the church family. In Acts, it talks about the Christians meeting daily. I wonder how they managed to get any work done if they had meetings daily. But we are expected to meet regularly. And we have uh, regular meetings during the week to facilitate that. You don't have to stick to just home groups and prayer meetings and Sunday morning meetings, but it is a start. We should be tight. We should know each other's business. If people don't know what you're going through, you need to share it. If you don't know what other people are going for, you need to ask about it. We are supposed to uh, uh, be um, exhibitors and livers of this agape love. Thirdly, and most importantly, and we have Peter building up this layer, we respect everyone, we love our brothers and sisters, but most importantly, most critically, we fear God. We hold him in awe and wonder. I think we are very tempted to get this uh, layer thing the wrong way around. Some of us don't even vaguely respect God by our lifestyles. The people in here, we're expecting them to serve us. And then everyone out there, we're terribly afraid what they think of us. And we've got it reversed. We have got confused. We have forgotten the priorities that Peter talks about. Peter's language is very clear. You respect everyone, (coughs) but they are not all your allies. Here is agape love people that we enjoy each other's company and share our lives together. But you don't fear what Barry thinks or Peter thinks or Tim thinks or Wendy thinks. It is God you hold in awe and wonder. And there is a hierarchy in how we conduct ourselves and what we think about um, and the decisions we made. Let's look at the last reading, uh, Romans chapter 12. Pete could have the last slide. (coughs) Says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. And we're talking about this Christian fellowship. Never be lacking in, in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, <coughs> live at peace with everyone. Everyone say this together. Live at peace with everyone. So if you like Norwegian death metal, don't play it at two o'clock in the morning. Don't shout at your kids at six o'clock in the morning so you wake everyone up. Don't live in a way that causes others to wish they lived somewhere else. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If, the, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not <coughs> overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is so much in this passage, but um, I just wanted to bring out the fact that there is that mentioning of self-sufficiency there that we are all supposed to keep our spiritual fervour, that it is not someone else's job to get you excited about Jesus. It is not someone else's job to get you living Christ every day with a fervour. It is your responsibility. It is our own responsibility. You don't wait till church does something really exciting before you start praying and reading your Bible. You maintain those fires. You don't wait till we get a really impressive guest speaker before you help out with teas and coffees and setting up and uh, hosting home groups and all the other things. You serve because you are excited about Jesus, because that is a priority in your life. And Paul, along with Peter, reminds us again that simple truth of loving our brothers and sisters, of extending hospitality to them. I wonder when the last time you invited someone around yours for a meal, or you were invited if you don't invite someone around your house for a meal, uh, then I wonder why that is. And if you don't get invited round, I wonder why that is as well. There should be a dynamic and reciprocal nature in the way that we look out for each other and enjoy each other's company. We should be generous to one another. And then Paul, in this passage in Romans, he turns to the unwashed masses, the pagans and the Gentiles and the captives of sin and the blasphemers and adulterers and the like. And he knows that they inflict hardship. Paul um, suffered at the hands of these guys again and again. And yet Paul says, live peacefully. He goes, look, if you're preaching, that's fair enough. 
but don't be Christian awkward to people. For goodness sake, don't think it is your God-given right to get up the nose of your neighbour and that what they really need is a piece of your mind. Live at peace. Be kind and forgiving. Don't use your faith to be awkward. Don't make artificial principles in life. And don't be choosy with the company you keep. Don't only uh, seek out the people that can do you favours. The people with nicer houses and nicer cars that will somehow do you uh, better. We are not to be snobbish. We are not to be snobbish. We're supposed to be hanging around with the people that others wouldn't hang around with. We are to know the sick, the lonely, the old and the poor and those without front teeth. We're supposed to get alongside them and enjoy their company. I was at uh, another fellowship on Sunday and it was brilliant to meet this uh, guy in the midst of some very middle class people. Just this guy who had no, uh, no job and he was just, life had dealt him all sorts of harsh turns. But he was comfortable with all these uh, uh, sort of middle-class Christians who were very settled because they all loved Jesus and looked out for him. And this place should be that too. Where there is no one that we won't associate with, no one that we won't talk to. I wonder who you gravitate to when we have a tea and coffee. Some of you are just out the door. And if your life is uh, too busy for fellowship, then that's another issue. But I wonder who you spend time with. Who do you talk to? Do you use this uh, to sort of plan all the things that you've got going, or do you use it as a time to show agape love to each other? Sunday mornings is a brilliant practice ground for being a Christian that loves people that we don't normally find ourselves sitting amongst. Friends, we are free people. This is the starting and the basis and the foundation. We are free and liberated and we live abundant lives. And what do we do with this freedom? We don't indulge it. We fear God. We love believers And we honour everyone else, even Boris Johnson. Please uh, bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this guidance from both Peter and Paul. We understand that it is difficult being a Christian in a fallen world. It is difficult being a believer... Um, when Christ has yet to come again. Lord God, I pray for every single person in this room that you would help us navigate life in regard to institutions and authorities, (coughs) in regard to our neighbours and family and work colleagues, and in regard to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord God, I pray that our lives would match up to the uh, 
guidance given by Scripture that Peter and Paul would see our lifestyles and livelihoods um, and practices and conduct as something they recognise as Christian and Holy Spirit inspired. Lord God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.